Some call it a new guide for the psychiatrist's couch. We're talking about the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And for the first time, you are getting some input. You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Daryl Regeer. Dr. Regeer, for a decade, has been executive director of the American Psychiatric Institute for Research and Education and director, Division of Research, at the American Psychiatric Association. The Institute is an independent, nonprofit research component of the APA with its own board and research mission in mental health services, health policy, epidemiology, and psychopathology research and related training. Its principal responsibility has been to coordinate the maintenance and revision for the American Psychiatric Association's Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Prior to taking his current job, Dr. Regeer worked for 25 years at the National Institute of Mental Health, directing three research divisions in the areas of epidemiology, prevention, clinical research, and health services research. He has been an author, reviewer, and editorial scientific advisory board member of many publications and journals, and we're so happy to have him here today. Joining us from his offices outside the Washington, D.C., area, Dr. Daryl Regeer. Welcome to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, so tell us, doctor, about the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, and then we can talk about what's new this year, because not only is it something exciting for physicians who have had input in the past, but it might be exciting for the average Joe on the street. Well, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is essentially almost a dictionary of definitions and criteria for mental disorders. This is something that has emerged actually in the last 30 years, primarily since the DSM-3, the third edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual in 1980, where the field in mental health psychiatry came together and decided that in order to have reliable, which means replicable, uh, diagnostic criteria that would facilitate communication between physicians as well as with people in different institutions in different countries, that we really needed to have very explicit criteria for individual mental disorders. That innovation was uh, found necessary after some major studies showed that in the U.S. and in the U.K. or London and New York, for example, that there were vastly different rates at which schizophrenia or then manic depressive illness were being diagnosed. And the question was, was there something in the water that was different or was there something in the diagnostic practices that were different in these two settings? And after they did a very carefully controlled study using explicit diagnostic criteria, they found that the rates were essentially the same in the two cities, even though the uh, hospital records showed vast differences in the rates of mental disorders that were being admitted. So in the last 30 years, what has happened is that there's been really an explosion in neuroscience research, in epidemiological research, all of which has been used to test what are essentially scientific hypotheses incorporated in these diagnostic definitions. That is, do these definitions of schizophrenia, of major depression, of uh, anorexia, of substance use disorders, do they really help differentiate and identify a more homogeneous group of uh, patients? What has happened in the last 
30 years is there's been this explosion of research in epidemiology of mental disorders, of neuroscience, of psychopharmacology, of psychotherapy research that has been used to assess the validity of these diagnostic criteria hypotheses that would see if, in fact, people identified by these criteria actually respond in similar ways to treatments, whether they're medications or psychotherapy or behavioral treatments, and uh, whether or not individuals uh, with these diagnoses tend to cluster in families, uh, meaning that they're a genetic risk. And then uh, increasingly, as molecular science has advanced, are there common genes for these uh, disorders, or do some of the boundaries defined by these conditions actually share common genes or common other risk factors that needed to be taken into consideration for perhaps refining the diagnosis. So that's what's happened in the last 30 years, and we're now at a point of trying to really reassess whether or not we should revise these diagnostic criteria in order to reflect the advances in research. And usually the DSM is something that's revisited every decade, isn't it? Is that about right, every 10 years? And why is that? Well, the World Health Organization actually has responsibility for international classification of all diseases, and it's called the International Classification of Diseases, or ICD. And this is not just psychiatric illnesses, it's everything. This is all illness okay. it's, um, across all of medicine. Thank you. And so there's just one chapter in that book of the ICD for mental disorders. The ICD is actually the official classification of all uh, countries who are signatory to the United Nations and to the uh, World Health Organization. And so we agree that we will report, you know, vital statistics like causes of death and, you know, disease rates and everything from uh, HIV to SARS to swine flu. We will use the same coding for these particular disorders and, and likewise with depression and schizophrenia and, and the like. So what has happened is that the area of mental disorders starting in about 1980 was the only group of classifications within the international classification of diseases that was shown to require really explicit diagnostic criteria to make the diagnosis as opposed to just having a textbook say this is what we mean by diabetes or stroke or myocardial infarction. What the American Psychiatric Association has had the responsibility for doing is actually providing the major scientific input into this area for the entire international classification of diseases, which in 1990 adopted the DSM approach to using explicit criteria, and we harmonized you know, a great deal, while I was actually at the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, harmonized kind of the APA's DSM with what was being done in the international classification of diseases, and we continue to do that at this time. If you're joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Daryl Regeer. He is the executive director of the American Psychiatric Institute for Research and Education and director, division of research at the American Psychiatric Association. And we're talking about the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And doctor, if you could tell us what's new this year, because in the past, it's been, you know, some folks have said, hey, they do this in secret, they come up with this manual, blah, blah, blah. 
it's new this year. They're being transparent about it. Maybe you wouldn't think they hadn't been in the past, but the public can get in on this. If they have a child with an illness, they could maybe write and become involved. Is that true? That's true. After working for about a decade on doing the literature reviews of the science behind the classification, just earlier this month, on the 10th of February, we released the draft criteria for the DSM-5 on a website that is www.dsm5, the number 5.org. What's uh, possible is for anybody, professionals or the lay public, to uh, go on the site. They can see what the current diagnostic criteria are in the DSM-4, which is the fourth edition. They can look at the proposed diagnostic criteria for DSM-5. They can also look at the rationale for all of the changes with all the references in in terms of the scientific literature that explains why the group of some 160 experts that we've had pouring over the literature and making these recommendations have come up with. In addition to looking at the individual diagnostic criteria, we're also, for the first time, also having some recommendations on how would one assess the severity of the individual diagnoses. And very importantly, we're also incorporating a recommendation that has been emerging from the National Institutes of Health for having something they've referred to as patient-reported outcome measures in a system they've called PROMIS, P-R-O-M-I-S, Patient-Reported Outcome Measurement Information System, in major domains in the emotional disorders area of mood, anxiety, anger, and also in fatigue, pain, and sleep. So we're interested in the presence of symptoms in those domains across the full range of disorders, and these are intended to be kind of uh, cross-cutting measures for all of medicine, for whether one has diabetes or heart disease or stroke or cancer, as opposed to just as screening measures for mental disorders. Because people who might have a loved one or your primary care physician, you're not as familiar with this area, you can weigh in if you see some sort of a pattern with a patient. That's correct. And it also will help us do a better job of rounding out the full symptom profile of patients who come in, you know, with a diagnosis like major depression, where the diagnostic criteria for major depression are nine symptoms, five of which have to be present over a period of, say, two weeks. But in those diagnostic criteria, there are no symptoms for, for example, fatigue or for anxiety. And what one would do is get additional dimensional measures of uh, these important factors that affect patient treatment and reflect patient outcome. Would they consider perhaps adding a symptom of depression? As a matter of fact, one of the things that we're looking at is the possibility of introducing a diagnostic category called anxious depression in which uh, one would have actually a combination of symptoms across anxiety and depression uh, since this seems to be among those with depression, people who have significant anxiety symptoms seem to have the worst response to available treatments and the worst clinical outcome as a result of that. But one of the problems is that unless you have a specific diagnosis, you know, there no company or academic center is going to 
try to do a controlled clinical trial to improve treatments for that particular indication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's important to make sure that uh, we have more you know, accurate diagnostic criteria so that, in fact, the FDA can authorize an indication for, for example, anxious depression as opposed to either pure depression or pure anxiety disorders, which is what they are currently limited to providing an indication for. If there's no diagnostic category, the physician and the patient are going to perhaps end up in a fruitless battle with the insurance company to get the patient coverage and help to pay the bills for their own treatment. No, that's absolutely correct. One of the important uh, uses of the DSM is to provide a diagnosis, which is basically a justification for treatment on an insurance claim form. It's important, you know, in, in a number of ways also, that there are some mental disorder diagnoses that in the past have not been funded as well by insurance because of kind of a historic stigma. We think that that will be reduced with the recent passage a year or so ago now with the Mental Health Parity Act, which basically requires uh, insurance companies to pay equivalent rates for uh, mental disorders as they do for uh, other medical surgical conditions. Well, doctor, before we wrap up, if you wouldn't mind rattling off that website just one more time, then we'll wrap it up here. Okay. Well, the importance of this website is that you can not only go on the website and see what the proposed diagnostic criteria are, but if you're a patient or a healthcare professional or a research investigator, you can also log on, get a username and a password, and you can submit your recommendations for individual diagnostic areas. The website is www.dsm5.org. That's open for the uh, community. Um, it's now only been open for about two weeks, and already we have about 2,500 comments that have come in. More than 155,000 you know, visitors have logged on to look at the site and to make a decision about whether or not they wanted to uh, submit a comment or not as well. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Dr. Darrell Regeer, who's been our guest. He's with the American Psychiatric Institute for Research and Education, which is affiliated with the American Psychiatric Association. And we've been talking about the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And for the first time, you, our listeners, can have some input. I'm Bruce Japson. I've been your host, and you've been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160. ReachMD online, on demand, and on the air. Please visit us at www.reachmd.com. And I'd like to thank you today for listening. 